Hey, it's so good to be with you, Traders Point. Welcome. Uh, my name is Ryan, one of the pastors around here. And I just want to say there are so many incredible things happening in the life of our church. I just want to put one more on your radar. Make sure you don't miss this because it's coming up really quick. This Saturday is our advance commitment night. And this night is where we're all going to get under one roof here at the Northwest Campus for what we are praying is a historic night in the life of our church. And this night is for anyone who is ready to lead out and to go first with their commitment. It's going to be a night of worship, of prayer. Our lead pastor is going to deliver a message. And then there's going to be a time to lead out in that commitment. We even have a dessert party afterwards. I'm telling you, this is going to be a big night. And we just want to, we would love to see you there. And if that's you, no need to RSVP or anything like that. Just show up this Saturday, 6 p.m. We would love to have you. And then as far as today goes, we're continuing in our series, Awaken. If you have your books, you can go ahead and turn to page 68, page 68 in your books. And this is a great resource to have, to take notes in. There's even stuff throughout the week so that you can stay connected to the message and with groups. If you don't have one yet, make sure you stop by the Awaken Hub in any of our lobbies and pick one up before you go. If you're watching online, we have a digital copy for you at vision.tpcc.org. And here's what this series has been all about, about what does it look like to be awakened in this season, right? What does it look like for God to, to wake us up, for, to not just sleepwalk or coast through life? We want to be awakened to what he has for us. Like, have you ever been awakened abruptly? Like, have you ever went from completely asleep to fully awake in seconds? It's, it's a lot, right? Like, you're, you, it's a different level of alert. I know for me, I was sleeping once, and uh, my daughter came in poking me, as, as she does, and she said, Dad, 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 my tooth is loose. Just think about how different kids are than adults. Like, as an adult, you would never wake someone up to tell them your tooth is loose. But I said, okay. She said, can you pull it? And I'm half asleep, guys. And so I just reach in, I find the tooth, pull it out, hand it to her. She's excited, I'm excited. My eyes are, I don't even know if they ever opened. I'm slowing back down, going back to sleep. She makes it all the way to the bathroom before she starts screaming. And you can hear the tears and the terror in her voice. And I jump up and I hear her say, you pulled out the wrong tooth. I'm running down the hallway. And I'm like, I'm not strong enough to like pull out an adult tooth, or am I? <laughs> and you ever been so awake, like you just try to open your eyes more to somehow you'll get some new knowledge? Like I'm thinking I'm a dentist now and I can tell if I pulled an adult tooth or a baby tooth by looking at this hole, I have no idea. Chances, but here's, here's the good news, it was just another baby tooth that she didn't even know was loose, so it was a gift. Um, <laughs> She chose to not have me pull the actual tooth that was loose, and I thought that was fair. But that moment, you know what I mean? Where your heart's beating a little bit faster, your senses are all there, you, you are awakened in that moment to what's going on. What we've been doing in this series is saying, hey, God has that for us in this season, that he is awaking us to the life that he has for us. That John 10, 10 life, that I have come, that they may have life and have it abundantly that we want to be awakened to this rich and good and full life that God has for us. 
Because we need to hear this today, church. Jesus came to bring a way of life, not a way of death, right? A way of life that begins right now in this season. And what we've been saying is, God, what do you want to do in us and what do you want to do through us? And every week it's just being awakened to something new, allowing God to search us and to wake us up. Last week it was awakened to perspective. And this week, if you're taking notes, it's awakened to significance. Awaken to significance. The verse we're going to start with today is Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. You know, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. If not, everything's going to be on the screen behind me. And I just want to give us a little bit of content as we get into Luke chapter 12, as Jesus begins to teach us about significance. You see, in this moment, you got to know Jesus' ministry is fully on. Thousands of people are showing up to hear him preach, and he is it's just a heavy sermon that he's giving here. And he's telling these people about their true significance, about their value, how God sees them and knows them intimately. He goes as far as to say that God, God knows you. He even knows how many hairs are on the top of your head. And some of my bald brothers aren't that impressed by something like that. But that's a lot. He's saying, I've seen you. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I know you now. I see you. I love you. And he's sharing He wants them to hear this new kingdom that he's bringing and their status in this kingdom, their value, their identity. It's beautiful. And in this crowd of people, thousands, you get the picture that there's this one guy elbowing his way. He can't contain himself. He has to speak. He is responding to what you would think is the greatest message these people have ever heard. And then he's from the crowd, gets to the front, and he shouts out, teacher, teacher, what is this man going to say? Look at this. Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. This was a grown man. Jesus is pouring his heart out, telling him about the kingdom, telling him about the gospel. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Real quick, though, while I have you, can you, is there a way we could do like a three-way call with my brother? Because he's, I need a little bit more of the inheritance. You see, Jesus is trying to teach him about true significance and true wealth and the abundant life. But this guy just has a one-track mind. He's focused on this one thing that he thinks if he will get, then he will be significant. Then his heart can be content. And I love that Jesus doesn't dismiss him. He's not just like, okay, next question. Please vet these questions. Um, No, he sees this man and he has compassion for him. Look at what he calls him. He says, Jesus replied, friend. Who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said this, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, this guy's he's trying to talk about this one thing over here, but Jesus slices through it. And he gets to the thing underneath the thing. He gets to the thing that brought this man all the way to the front. He gets to the thing that is keeping him from seeing the true life and the real life that God wants for him. And the word that's used is greed. It's the man's greed that blinds him from being able to see what is there. And the way Jesus talks about greed is so different than any other sin. Did you see some of the language that he used? beware, watch out. When do you use language like that? When someone can't see it, when you can see something that they can't see, like, hey, watch out. 
Look up, heads up. That's very different than any other kind of sin, right? Like with all other sins, you know you are doing it when it's happening. You're not like, wait a minute, you're not my wife, right? <laughs> That's what makes greed so dangerous. Greed blinds us. Greed blinds us. It almost acts as like a two-way mirror. Do you remember these? These were big back in like the 90s sitcoms. Every cop show had one of these on display. You had the interrogation room where they could see out, but no one could see in. And I think greed lays that, that film, that reflective film over our hearts where we can't see in there. We don't even know that we are greedy, which makes it that much more dangerous. How do I know? Guys, I've been a pastor now almost full-time, 10 years, and people confess all kinds of things to me, every kind of sin, addictions, abuse, affair, all of it. No one has ever sat down and said, Pastor, thank you for your time. Can we talk about greed? It's really getting the best of me. No, not once. Is it because we don't struggle with greed as a church, as a people? Maybe, probably not. Maybe it's because we are blind to it. It's so hard to even admit because we see greedy as so, ugh, right? And what I want us to do is maybe this is helpful. Instead of seeing it like so black and white, like I'm either greedy or I'm generous, let's look at it on a spectrum, right? Let's say, let's put greedy on one side and generous on the other. Because a lot of times I think it makes it hard for us to see it because we think greedy, that's like an evil dictator. That's like the worst of the worst. I'm not greedy. It's hard to see greed. It's easy to see generous because I'm not that, so I'm probably this. I'm generous. You can, it's easy to feel generous. You can be at the grocery store and you're paying $78.77 and they say, hey, would you like to round up? And you're like, Phew. <laughs> you know what? Go ahead. I'm going to round up today. And how does that work? Do I get like a tax form with this or how do I, this 13 cent, what are we doing with it? It's much easier to see generosity than it is to see greed, right? But here's the thing. To say I'm not greedy at all is to say that I'm perfectly generous, it's to say that I couldn't be more generous with my time, my treasure, my talent. I don't know about you, but I don't fit into that space. I don't perfectly handle all that. I'm not perfectly generous. So what this series and what today is about is, is just saying, God, awaken me to those blind spots that I have. Convict me. Show me. Here's one step. God, show me how I can take a step in my generosity. Show me areas where I'm blind and convict me and give me the courage to take a step and become more generous. That's what Jesus is leading to in this teaching. And what he's going to do now is he's actually going to tell a parable or a story. But remember, the reason he's telling this story is because this guy popped up and he has a problem with greed. He's missing out on the life that that God has for him, and Jesus is trying to bring him back and to show him a life of true significance. Look at the story he tells. Then he told them a story 
A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? And here it is. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So let's break this down. We have a rich man, and he has a very big problem. He has too much. He doesn't know what to do with it. What a problem to have. Imagine being in group with this guy. Like you're sitting down this week, and everyone in the group is sharing their prayer request, and you have this health scare, this diagnosis on this side, you're asking for prayer. Somebody else has this relational dynamic, and she shares what she needs, and then it gets to this guy. And he says, you know what, um, I, don't know, I don't even know where to start, but I just got a call from the bank, and, and they said that they don't have enough room for all my money. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to have to do. I don't have to pull in another bank. I don't know if I'm going to get offshore accounts. I guess I could just pray. Could you guys pray for wisdom? No, you need to pray for a new group. You can't be here anymore. <laughs> That's not a real problem. This is the guy. He steps up and he begins to share, and he's a man with solutions. He says they can't all physically fit in here. He's in a real pickle, but he says, you know what? cartoon light bulb moment. You catch a solution? I'll just tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store up all my wheat and all my other goods. God doesn't love this solution. I think we can point to a few reasons why. One, there's no mention of gratitude. He doesn't thank God that the reason he has all this is because God gave it to him. There's no generosity. There's no first or best. He just immediately gets to, how can I have more and more? How can I do that? That would be great. And then one day, I'll be able to sit back and be completely content. But what's implied about this, the real problem is in verse 21. I want us to really hone in on this. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Because let's make this clear. What makes this man a fool is not that he has wealth. It's not that he has earthly possessions. Money is neutral. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with it, how you view it. The problem here is in the, the but not. The problem is when we sacrifice a rich relationship with God for earthly wealth. Because we can serve God or money but not both. And there's something in this man's life that makes it seem like he's willing to sacrifice a rich relationship with God to have his earthly riches. And as I was reading it this week, you know, it's easy to see it in him. But what is it in us, right? Like, why is earthly wealth so appealing? Why are we just willing to trade so much to get that? to have 
that, what, what is it? What are we really searching for? What's underneath the money? I think it's significance. That if we can just acquire enough, then I'll be enough. I will be significant if I can show what I have. If I can acquire enough, I'll have security. If I have enough, I think this is a big one, I'll feel safe. Hear it? I'll feel like I'm finally in control. Then I will have significance. Then I will feel like I'm enough. And when we begin to look to money to bring us that, to bring us significance, that's when we begin to worship our wealth and possessions. And maybe you're like, that's a little strong, bro. I don't think I worship my wealth and possessions. I'm not saying you get up in the mornings and you open up your bank account and you like sing to it. <laughs> to worship is to ascribe worth to. And we are smart creatures. Whatever it is in our lives that we think will bring us ultimate significance and security, we will begin to move it higher and higher up the totem pole. It will become the thing. But church, can I just say this, and please hear me. There is not a dollar amount big enough that could possibly give your soul the significance that it was created for. We are significant, and it's not because of how much we have. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of whose we are, and it's because of whose image we bear. That alone gives us significance before we ever do anything. And this is modeled perfectly at the baptism of Jesus. I want to read this, and I want you, we're going to talk about this, all right? So take a look at this. This is Jesus being baptized. After this after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is my son who brings me great joy. I want you to think about this. When did Jesus get baptized? At the beginning. Jesus got baptized before the ministry, before the miracles, before the cross, before he did anything he was significant, before he did anything he was a son, before he did anything God found great joy because he was his. And church, can we, can we just hone in on that right now? You are significant as a follower of Jesus, as a member of this body, as fellow heirs of Jesus. You are significant. You are a son. You are a daughter. And nothing can steal that significance from you. And this is what I think gave Jesus so much power as he went through life. He wasn't tempted by all these other things. He didn't fall into that temptation because he knew who he was. His significance was solidified. He had everything he needed from God, which allowed him to live a very different and perfect life. He was already significant. And you see, this is why greed is such a big deal to God. This is why God and church talk so much about money. Because money, more so than anything else, creates the best counterfeit God. Money, more so than anything else, it pulls us away from worshiping God. 
It promises to do what God has said that only he can do. It even begins to tell us who we are. This is why greed is such a big deal. And what makes it even bigger of a problem is that we can't even see it coming. And a lot of times greed doesn't just show up that easily. It's not just seen and being selfish. That would be too easy to see. A lot of times it hides behind security. It hides behind safety. It can even masquerade as being responsible. I'm not greedy. I'm a saver. What are you talking about? And hear me. The Bible says to save. There's wisdom in that. You should save. But saving isn't ultimate. And just because we save doesn't mean we don't have to wrestle with our motives for why we are saving and what we are saving for. And as Pastor Aaron mentioned last week, there are even more passages in Scripture cautioning us on oversaving than passages encouraging us to save. Looked at Matthew 6 last week, Luke 12, and today we're going to put more of that tension in here that it's not as black and white, that it's not as easy as just do this and do that. But we're going to see a teaching that comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in this, Paul is cautioning us. He is on oversaving and overvaluing and overamassing the stuff on this world here. I know I struggle with that. Maybe you do too. And then he even answers the question, if life isn't measured by those things, then what is it measured by? So take a look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. What a perspective. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Do you see how he's saying the same thing here? Life is not measured by how much you own. Someday soon, somebody, will, somebody else will own all of it. That's not great wealth. Great wealth comes from having a rich relationship with God. It's about storing up heavenly riches, living for eternity, sending my treasure where I want my heart to be. And then he gives us this new equation to begin looking at wealth from a different side. And he says great wealth is actually godliness with contentment. Is that how you would answer it? If someone this week said, hey, are you wealthy? You'd be like, well, depends. Do you mean godliness with contentment? Because with contentment? then yes. No, when we think about wealth, when we think about abundance, a lot of times it's attached to a dollar sign or it's attached to this or that. But Jesus and Paul here are talking about true significance and contentment that aren't attached to anything. It's contentment that doesn't rely on a dollar amount, a certain square footage, or even the perfect life circumstances to be content. He says it comes with godliness. And here's just a simple definition. What is godliness? It means that I, I want to be with God and I want to be like God. And he says if you make your life about that, that with contentment is great wealth alone. And in Philippians 4, Paul would go on to say that this is actually the secret to being content in any situation. He said, I've had a lot and I've had nothing. And the secret is this, to have Jesus. That it is in him. By Christ, I have the strength to do all things. And so maybe you're on that rat race, in that rat race right now. And I just want to speak lovingly with this truth. 
Until Jesus is enough, nothing else will ever be. Until Jesus is enough, nothing else will ever be. We spend our lives chasing after it, thinking it's just one away. That's what this man thought. He said, I'm one barn away, then I'll have contentment, then I'll sit back, and then I'll eat, drink, and be merry. I will have no worries. But what Jesus is offering here is contentment that comes from the cross, which says that Jesus already is enough. It says that because of what he did on the cross, he has already done more for me than I deserve. He's done more than me than I could ever ask for. And because I have that, I have more than enough, no matter what earthly situation I find myself in. that I am content because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And here's what he's getting to. Until we make that claim, until we start living like it's true, if there's a gap, if we're living like we need more, we're going to fill that gap with something. Something else will try to step in where Jesus alone can fill. That's what what Paul points to in this next verse. He says, but people who long to be rich... And they fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I just want us to talk about how serious greed is, how dangerous and how real We've already talked about it works like a a two-way mirror over our hearts that we can't see into that. We don't even know the depths of our greed. And now it says that if we're not careful, we go through life and then greed will put blinders on us. So we can not only see in, we can't even see out. And we don't realize that we're living for these things that will never be enough, believing that we're just one away and one away. Like I said, it's easy to see how foolish the man was when he just wanted to build some bigger barns. But to him, he was just one away. I just want to ask you today, what what would more mean for you? Chances are you already have an idea of more. If you had this, then these things would be true. You know, if I got more, I would have the thing I've always been, I've always been wanting. Uh, Maybe I would have more in retirement. I would have a bigger and better version of what I already have. And none of these things are bad. A lot of us, though, already have a plan before it comes. But would more really make us more generous? Because the trap that we can't even see until it's too late is we begin in this lie. I'll be generous once I get content. Once I get all these things that I need and all these things that I want, then I'll be in a space to be generous because I will find contentment. And we live with this in the background, more money, more money, then I will be content. And along the way, we don't even realize it. We don't see it. But we begin to put more trust and more trust into money and less trust and less trust into God. So what does it look like to have a plan for more? to be generous with more, because that gap's gonna get filled with something. And here's just a way that I know that I'm taking steps in my generosity. I have a gap between how I could live and how I choose to live. I have a gap between how I could live and how I choose to live. And some people at our campuses, that gap, that margin, razor thin. 
We're talking about very small things that you could do if you wanted to, but you're choosing not to. You're laying that down in hopes that it will allow you to be more generous, that it will allow you to become more dependent on God. And you say, you know, I could get Starbucks every day this week. I could go out to dinner here. I could go with some friends over there. But I'm laying all of that down. I'm choosing to live a different way so that I can be generous. For some, it's razor thin. For some, the margins are very, very wide. And it's not cups of coffee. It's... It's really at the place of another house, another car, another vacation, the really big things that you could do and you have every right to do. You've worked hard. But it's coming to this place and saying, I'm going to lay that down so that I can live a generous life. And that that gap as we go through life just gets bigger and bigger, even when more money doesn't come. Think about that. Because even when more money doesn't come, godliness still does. And I, re I realize more and more what's a necessity and what's a luxury. And I realize that I begin to place God over everything else. And the thing that brings me the most joy isn't that thing or that new thing over there. It's actually honoring God with everything that I have and trusting him and getting to see what my generosity does here on earth. And knowing that I'm storing up treasures in heaven. Come on. I realize more and more what's a necessity and what's a luxury. And in verse 17, he gives a beware or a watch out of his own. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. And this is a warning, right? Don't let money make you proud. Don't let money make you arrogant. Don't let money make you think you're better off than anyone else because you have a little bit more. Don't, don't fall into that trap either. He says, instead, place your faith in God. Start, start trusting him. And to place your trust in God, that's just another way of saying have faith. Believe that he is with you. And think about this. Just, just logically for a moment. If money is the most important thing in your life, if money is ultimate, if, if that's what we're worshiping, that's what we're believing gives us the most significance and security and safety, we'll search for it. And chances are, it's not that hard. We will get more of it and more of it. But what will it cause us to do? We will just want more and more money. Flip it, though. What would it look like if instead of that, which he gives the alternative to, he says, well, what if instead of trusting in that, you began to trust in God? What would that look like? Do you see what he said? He said, tell them to use their money. Or sorry, he said, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Think about that. Money has the tendency, even though it's neutral, to lead us to greed. It has the... the the temptation to lure us away into this trap, and maybe we get more and more, but maybe we become arrogant and more greedy. But he says, no, no, I want you to be like God. And if you make your life about being godly, I want to be with God, I want to be like God, what's that going to look like? Well, you'll become more like him. And what is God like? He's the most generous being in the universe. The most generous act this world has ever known and will ever known is that God emptied heaven. 
God sent Jesus, for he so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus lived the most generous life this world has ever known, steeped in significance, wrapped in security, but at the same time, wrapped in flesh and bones. He lived perfectly. And he went through this life living for me and you and was even willing to give his life for us. Going to a cross, he died for me and you, but he didn't remain dead. Our God rose, defeating sin and death, proven that he is the one that should be trusted and God still wasn't done giving. He said, if you place your faith in me, if you trust in me, I will give you my very spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, now I'm going to give that to you. Think about this generous God. That's the life, I don't know, that's the life to be awakened to. That's the life to be reminded that that's what he has us here for and what we should really be placing our trust in and finding our significance in. But Paul's gonna end here, which I love, with just a way that we can know how, if we're falling into that trap, if we're moving away from generosity, if we're leaning too much on our resources and not enough on God. Take a look at what he says. He says, so tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. We can't get away from this. This true life, this abundant life, what God is awaking us to. And what I love about this is that we can see this. We can see these things. So much with greed. We talked about, you know, the two-way mirror with the blinders. We're blind to all these things, but we can see this. And here's the thing. I'm just going to walk through. And, and when you're taking notes, as you write this down, just at the top of it, say, am I? Am I? And let's just walk through what he listed here. Am I using my money to do good? I may be coming into a little bit more money. I may have more freedom, more options, and I may be using it for a lot of things, but am I using it for good? Am I sending my treasure where I want my heart to be? Am I building up, storing up heavenly riches? Or am I really just kind of looking to, what does it look like to build a few more barns here on earth? That's what I love about being a part of a church like this, is that we all come together and we give what we have, using our money to do good, and then the impact is huge. It's not just here in our communities or our city, or our state. It is around the world. We're using our money to do good. Am I? Am I rich in good works? This is a big one because maybe you've experienced some success. Money's been coming in, but that some money always comes with a price, and it's causing you to work late. It's causing you to take away from other spaces. And you're in that place of like, I wish I could serve more. I wish I could be more involved. I wish I could be more present. That may be a space to speak into and say, what would it take for me to be rich in good works in this season? Am I generous to those in need? Or maybe if you're being honest, you have those blinders on and you don't even see the needs of those around you. Are you always ready to share? Are you always in a space? Have you lived in such a way that you have the margin that whenever opportunity comes, you can step into it and you can be generous? 
Listen, as you work through these this week, there is no shame. This is what this series is for, to engage, to wrestle, to give these back to God and to say, God, I want to be more like this. I want to be more like you, generous like you. Help me. Because here's the thing. If a fool is someone who is willing to trade a rich relationship with God for earthly riches, I think if we flip that, we can say, then that means someone who is wise is willing to sacrifice earthly riches to make sure that we maintain and to have a good and abundant and rich relationship with God. And remember, what we're doing in this series, God, what does it look like to awaken me and to take one step closer to you? One step to be more like you. And this has been our prayer for our church is God, would you awaken us to significance, true significance, true contentment. And what we wanna do right now at all of our campuses, if you would just stand with us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go back into a time of worship. And we're gonna stand in true significance, not chasing anything, secure in who we are and whose we are. We remember what brings that significance. It's the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. Our lives, that we are heaven focused. We are looking ahead, anxiously awaiting the day God comes back. But in the meantime, we're not just waiting, we're sitting on our hands. And this life isn't just about storing up more and more. It's not about building these perfect palaces that we can live in and then one day we get to leave, no. It's about building the kingdom of God that me and you have been invited into this as family with God to do the most important work. If you're looking for significance, let it be in your sonship. Let it be in the fact that you are a daughter of God. If you're looking for significance, it's not in what you do here on a nine to five. What do I do? I've been tasked with partnering with God to bring heaven to earth. That's what I do. That's what I have given my life to. No greater purpose. So would you join us in prayer? And if you're bold enough today to pray that, God, awaken us to significance. Would you pray with us? Father, we come before you today. God, overwhelmed by your generosity. God, we, we don't wanna make a move out of guilt. We don't wanna make a move out of shame. God, we wanna make a move out of love like you did. God, we wanna respond with gratitude. We wanna be reminded every single day that you have already went all in, that you are the only one to be trusted. You are the only one big enough to hold us. You're the only one big enough to quench the thirst. You're the only one big enough to stop the greed in our hearts. So God, we offer ourselves to you. God, shine your light into the darkness. God, expose us for who we are and help us to take a step to be more generous, to be more like you. God, to help us bring heaven to earth. God, to help us bring the gospel, the good news of what real significance is and how contentment can be found. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, awaken us. The time is now. Father, it is in your perfect and holy name we pray. And the church said, amen.